Well, welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Jeff Baumgartner, Senior Editor at Light Reading. And um, I'm Ann Shelley. I'm Managing Director of Pearl Television, which is a consortium of eight of the larger broadcast station groups partnered with the networks on deploying next generation television. Great. Well, uh, thanks for joining the podcast, Ann. It's great to have an opportunity to catch up with you about the uh, the topic of the day, Next Gen TV. Um, right. And I think, you know, you kind of said it here in the introduction, uh, you know, but before we kind of dig into the topic at hand, yeah, for the uninitiated, uh, yeah, it'd be great to, to get a little more detail about Pearl TV uh, and its involvement with uh, ATSC 3.0, which we also know as Next Gen TV. Sure. So uh, Pearl Television was formed over 10 years ago by uh, these companies, uh, eight, eight of them, uh, companies like Scripps, Hearst, um, uh, Media, um, uh, I'm going back to the old times, but uh, Tegna. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of the, a lot of them have, have been acquired, so there's been some consolidation in uh, over 10 years, but uh, Sinclair, um, we've got Graham Media, uh, we've got Gray, uh, I mentioned Scripps already. Uh, but, you know, these are the groups of companies we, we represent over 92% of U.S. households and uh, have over uh, 900 television stations in the United States. And we partnered with the networks, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Univision over four years ago uh, to uh, start to develop uh, the beginnings of next generation television in a model market in Phoenix. And there we were taking the newly uh, minted standard that was in the, uh, developed by the ATSC, which is the standard setting body for television. If you think they were formed back in the day when HD was um, developed. And we uh, set uh, forth uh, a partnerships with manufacturers and the equipment vendors to Determine so what, and also working closely with consumers. So we did a lot of consumer research. You know, what is what should this uh, the early days of next gen look like? Um, how do we start to think about uh, TV sets that enable next generation television? What what is it the consumer would be wanting to see on these sets? What would excite them about next generation television? And we did that over four years ago, as I mentioned. Fast forward today. Uh, we're very involved in the deployment of NextGen, so enabling markets uh, to be turning on this service and working closely with TV manufacturers to ensure that there's devices out there that consumers can purchase. And then also um, creating consumer awareness, uh, talking about NextGen. Uh, we are promoting it with advertising, explaining to consumers what the benefits are. Uh, ultimately, this is a transition for us. Uh, it's uh, voluntary voluntary for the consumer, it's voluntary for manufacturers and voluntary for broadcasters. The good news is uh, you know, TV manufacturers are looking for new technology, ways to reach consumers with new products. We're also doing the same, uh, modernizing the free over-the-air service and providing a, a, a improved service for consumers. And, and from our research, it says they're interested in it, so the consumer is moving in that direction. Uh, and broadcasters are definitely moving in that direction. I'm proud to say that we have over 55 markets on the air today. Um, we're, we'll be closing out close to 75% households covered by the end of this year. And this is to, in, in building this out in, in a pandemic uh, over two years. So 
We're excited about it. We're right. seeing consumers purchasing devices. Um, lowest cost device is below $600. Um, Sony, um, Sony TVs, you can't buy a Sony TV that doesn't have next gen on it. So 10% of all TVs sold this year will have it. And, you know, we see in three to four years that will be fairly ubiquitous uh, across all smart television. So uh, we'll start to be have a pretty good embedded base of consumers out there um, on next generation television. Right. And I think there, there was a point like during the pandemic where uh, like rollout was uh, impacted a bit. Um, is that kind of in the, the rearview mirror now or are things it seems like things are either I don't know if they're back to where you'd hoped it would be normal or, or an accelerated pace, you know, kind of where, you know, where are I things think, right now? Yep. I think like any industry broadcasters have developed ways to remotely enable things. Uh, they can remote into stations to en enable the technology to turn it on. They're remotely monitoring, uh, you know, at first it stalled a little bit cause it was just, we couldn't get into TV stations to, to build out the, uh, the towers to enable this new technology. Um, the good news about NextGen in general is that we're just upgrading existing infrastructure. So we don't have a whole lot of new infrastructure we're building. We're just enhancing existing infrastructure. A lot yeah. of that's a software build. A lot of industries have developed remote ways and it's much more efficient. So there's actually some benefits in an odd way that come out of this. And one of the areas that has impacted us, I would say, is the supply chain issues. Uh, the TV manufacturers have been impacted somewhat by that. I think we would have more TVs in the marketplace as well as more uh, TV providers on the chipset side. But, you know, that's lifting and we're seeing momentum there. We made a announcement with a company called MediaTek, which is the biggest supplier of uh, systems on chips, reference platforms to device makers um, at very low cost. And we're excited about that because that means we'll start to get into those house brands that you see at like Target or Walmart sub $400 for a pretty nice television that would carry next generation tele TV. And then we have a big, this summer we're launching, look for the logo, a social campaign um, around uh, letting the consumer know, you know, a lot of people like to call themselves next gen. You have to look for the TV logo, which will be um, on, on, on the boxes and the sets and the information that, the, that, that they're certified to be able to receive our signal. Um, okay, great. And you and I have discussed a lot about ATSC 3.0 with respect to delivery of enhanced, you know, traditional and enhanced content, uh, whether it's 4K and HDR, the potential for uh, interactive applications, advanced advertising, and so forth to the, uh, the television. But uh, today, I think we're also going to talk a little bit and kind of shift gears and uh, about how the new broadcast signaling standard is being used with moving vehicles, right? So, you know, Pearl TV recently announced um, some updated field trial data with, uh, is it Auton? Auton, yeah. Auton, yeah. yeah. At the, the Motown 3.0 open test track in Detroit. Um, so before we kind of dig into some of that data, maybe give us a short history lesson on on the test track and, and kind of how it fits, you know, into the, sure. uh, the aims of ATSC 3.0. So maybe I should back up a little bit and explain that the, this new um, 
standard or, or technology is really it's a, it's an IP uh, broadcast transmission protocol, and uh, broadcasters purposefully move to IP. Um, and in this in in ATSC three and next generation television, and that's because that's where the world is going, right? So it allows us to get into the digital swim lane. Um, it allows us to essentially our live uh, video streams or live local newscasts, sports programming, all that that we're providing in NextGen, really just a large data file, a really big one, but a large one. And and it's being broadcast one to many, right, uh, where uh, cellular is one to one. And there's a lot of benefits in being able to deliver one to many. You don't break systems. Everything can receive it um, because it's not relying on a one to one unicast. And so in that use case, uh, you know, we're delivering video files, but we could deliver other things. And so we always have felt that automotive was a natural extension to our television service in a couple of ways. One is infotainment in cars. Uh, there are countries in Europe that use broadcast to deliver uh, broadcast television in cars uh, and to the, obviously to the backseat. <laughs> um, you know, I think with autonomous vehicles in the future, front seat, uh, mm -hmm. but clearly to the backseat. And, you know, that's just a delivery of a large file. We can also deliver things like navigation, um, upgrades to to automotive vehicles. All our cars right now are, are also a device that's similar to that has it, which which is using a lot of data. Uh, there's a lot of information in your car these days, managing your dashboards, managing the information in the car. You know, today you tend to take it into the dealer and they do the uh, the upgrade to the computer system if there's a new release. This way, um, automakers could do it uh, right to your car. Really great use case for fleets. Um, think Zipcar. They want to send an update out. Um, in addition to infotainment, it could be you know all other kinds of things that they're doing with the car. So we set up the Motown test track three years ago. Um, and that's a dedicated pipe um, led by Scripps uh, on their on their stick, but also in partnership with Fox, uh, CBS, and Graham in that market. Uh, Pearl is the test manager, and we're working closely with automotive communities. We chose Detroit for a reason. Um, there's some big automotive companies in that market, and they're actually testing on the test track. And so we've demonstrated in multiple markets that this is a really robust signal, meaning that it is it's well received it's easy to receive it in a car even when you're in a garage or underground um, you can also receive it though uh, and have a continuous receipt of it going from market to market so there was a large demonstration going from Detroit mm -hmm. to all the way up to Flint Michigan a lot of our DMAs are contiguous with our service might not be the same broadcaster but you can you can just like in wireless you can carry that call you can carry that data stream. Uh, and what Auton demonstrated with uh, TriVinny, which is um, a middle layer provider for, for next generation television, is how robust and flexible the platform is in next gen to be able to handle different types of use cases and files, whether that's you're sending a navigation file, uh, or it's or it's or it's video, or it's whatever it might be to an uh, automobile. 
it can react to the file size. It can it can basically handle most anything uh, because it's that flexible, and that's what Auton demonstrated. Yeah. So when you when you're um, getting into this capability, how do you kind of view this with respect to uh, you know the cellular network out there? Is it do you see this as a potential replacement? Is it complementary? How, how do you see it kind of fitting in that way? So we don't see. I, I always use. It, I always say it's not an either or. It's an and. Okay. Um, yeah, and and includes satellite in that. Uh, so satellite is also a provider into the car and will continue to be. You know, automakers need every option. Um, there's, there's just a lot of use cases and a lot of data, and the ability to choose the best platform at the lowest cost at the point of receipt is how these cars ultimately will, I think you, you'll see them built. So they'll have what I call similar to Google Fi, which is the ability to choose the network that makes the most sense for that particular use case coming into the car. There will be things that we're just not good at and Unicast is better for, uh, but there's things that we can deliver um, more efficiently and at a lower cost than the wireless networks. And so uh, that's, that's, where the automakers are going or what they would like to see happen. I think it's also, you know, competition is good. Um, and it, you know, lowers the cost for the consumer, lowers the cost to the automaker, uh, but everybody benefits. And, and there's, there's, there's more than enough data distribution to go around. you know, there's a lot happening in the future of, of data in and out of cars. We don't, we, we won't be out of cars. We don't have a return channel, but we can be into cars. Right. And, and is the, the idea here, you know, kind of moving as you continue to, to run tests on this to put a 3.0 receiver in the car? Yes. And, yes. Yeah. And, okay. And, and I don't yes. know if this and is... So, the... so, you know, here's... A, so South Korea has been ahead of us. Um, they adopted the ATSC standard, somewhat modified, but for the most part, the majority of the standard next generation television launched there prior to their winter Olympics. Uh, they're about two years ahead of us in deployment. They're now moving into automotive. Um, and so uh, Madeline Nolan made an announcement at the ATSC that um, Hyundai will be offering uh, an implementation of next generation television into the cars. Uh, you know, so there you have a, a manufacturer starting to lead. A lot of that's the early um, factor of, of South Korea, but certainly a, a demonstration of the automaker's interest in being able to have this as an option in the car uh, for both infotainment and for future data services. Okay. And have there been any other uh, commitments yet uh, or any commitments yet on the U.S. side? Or uh, I guess there'd be an expectation at some point. Yeah. Um, no, no commitments yet. I think, you know, the, the natural progression is the testing that they're doing. They have, you know, we, we can't, we're under NDA, so we, we I can't say who, which, which automakers, um, okay. but they're substantial. Uh, and, you know, again, they're, they're first testing the viability of the receive the, what I call the physical air, just physic physically being able to receive data and, and infotainment. Uh, and the robustness of it. I, I can say that uh, we were told by one automaker that they have, have checked that box. So that's the first step. Now the second step is to create 
uh, the requirements into the automotive, you know, what's the best way to build it in. Um, I do think you're going to see aftermarket first. Um, I think fleets are an interesting category uh, for us to uh, start to develop aftermarket. You know, there, there, already, there are going to be aftermarket products out, I think, probably early next year available to automakers um, and to companies like fleet services. There's a lot of um, independent uh, companies that manage fleets and markets, whether it's fleets of trucks doing repair or fleets of, um, you know, of uh, think um, limousine companies, things like that, that want to add this to their, to their, to their cars. And well, that'll be available uh, probably next year. Okay. And with the, uh, you know, the latest round of tests over at the, uh, you know, the test track, there in Detroit. Um, what are the next steps then? Is it just um, about more tests, you know, maybe in other uh, markets or other use cases, you know, kind of uh, yeah, so before I we get to commercialization and so yeah, forth? Yeah. yeah. So there's other, there's other implementations that have, are being, uh, mar- I mean, look, there's so many markets going up. Um, what we did here is dedicate um, a spectrum to this, uh, which allows automakers to come in and ask specific requests for us to set what I call the dials at certain um, parameters for them to test certain throughput use cases. Uh, I'm certain, I, I would imagine there'll be other, other markets opening up for that. Um, you know, we're pretty dedicated to Detroit right now. Uh, the other, the next phase really is those requirements, um, you know, figuring out what are the best uh best use cases that lend themselves better to, to, um, to, uh, uh, ATSC versus other uh, distribution, whether that's SAT or or 5G. And that's what we're doing right now is figuring that out. And then looking at sort of how do you aggregate, um, what's, what's the, uh, architecture as so at the ATSC, there is a group that's working on what I call the core network which would allow automakers, if you put it in, or, or a, middle, a company that's managing the service on the behalf of the automaker to be able to request X amount of spectrum in a market at what point in time. So, you know, that flexibility to be able to, you know, not as they distribute their cars, you're not necessarily sending data everywhere, um, you know, and, you know, they're, they're starting to figure that out with 5G and with their own implementations and their own back offices is how do they manage their uh, fleets and their services with their dealers, et cetera. And so, you know, we'll be able to match up against that, but really providing the flexibility in various ways that we can deliver on the service, whether it's they're managing it on their own right or there's a middle uh, company in the middle or we're providing that service. So there's different ways. And I think that's the work that we're doing now. And there's a whole initiative at uh, the ATSC that's working on what, what I would call the core network for that. Okay. And I think the, um, you know, the automotive use case is pretty interesting. Um, it, you know, it's still kind of interesting to think about a uh, car as an IP device, but you know, here we are. Right. But um, uh, again, a good example of a uh, uh, mobile use case, um, for 3.0. So, you know, 
I mean, what other kinds of uh, use cases are in development or at least being considered, right? Because, you know, people so have There's been testing around, yeah, well, got, there's been testing around outdoor yeah. signage. Um, so if you've mm-hmm. noticed, um, their signs are getting, um, you know, they, it's easy to change if you could just deliver a data file to it and uploads. And so there's, yeah. there's definitely that. You're seeing that uh, there's been demonstrations of that with companies like Sony and and others that um, actually have a big display business. So if you look at these displays that are out there, whether they're you know on the outside of um, of uh, you know big stadiums or whatever, there's there's a lot you could do with ATSC there. Um, and so outdoor display, uh, municipal buses, you know smart cities, um, you know, there's a whole host of delivery um, use cases that that broadcast can meet in that one-to-many use case versus a one-to-one, which gets, which is much more costly and expensive. So I think, you know, again, um, automotive is a, is a, is a clear, um, it already exists. It's already happening in two places, South Korea and, uh, and uh, Europe on infotainment. That's, so that's, that's a clear use, use, use case. If we are developing there, a natural extension of that or some of these other, some of these other, um, uh, other uh, verticals that I just mentioned. And Auto, auto is very scalable also, if you think about it. I mean, in terms of um, being able to scale across automotive, uh, I think some of these other verticals, I don't know if they have as big a scale, but you want to start to, when you prove out that use case there, you're certainly able to do it in these other environments. Right. Okay. Um, and then, you know, I wanted to talk something a little bigger picture, um, you know, kind of what's going on on the regulatory side for 3.0, right? And uh, it was in the last week or so, you know, we learned that the FCC has this uh, inquiry underway with respect to ATS, uh, ATSC 3.0 on the voluntary adoption um, by U.S. broadcasters, updates on sales of TVs and other devices that support the standard and, and technical challenges faced by MVPDs, you know, possibly, and efforts around uh, providing education. You know, around mm-hmm. the standard, and I think you covered, you know, quite a bit of that up front, right? In terms of, uh, you know, what's going on, on the deployment side, you know, the CE side, uh, and even the uh, uh, kind of public awareness side of it with campaigns and so forth. So, um, you know, one, you know, and I, I know you're not going to, you can't speak on behalf of the, what's what the MVPDs think, but uh, what's kind of your understanding in terms of, uh, you know, the uh, kind of the issue at hand here, right? In terms of, you know, their role in 3.0 and, and kind of passing along the signal and whether it's, you know, replication of the primary video signal or do they have to pass along the enhanced, you know, components? Uh, you know, there's a lot to kind of unpack there. But, you know, if you had to kind of summarize it, what's what's kind of happening there and, and uh, yeah, you know, kind of what are the, the points that kind of need to be debated right now? Yeah, so just um, so first off, the MVPDs are really important partners to broadcasters. Um, a, a lot of our viewership is on the MVT, B, MVPD platforms, and, and we mm-hmm. want to continue to serve uh, those customers. 
and those viewers. Uh, so um, that's what where I start, and that's where we start, and how we think about our partnership. We think of it as a partnership. We um, actually had uh, our first test. Uh, starting to just explore technically the implementation side of the delivery of our of our signal to uh, MVPDs and making sure that we um, actually I would back up first we started with ensuring when we when we started doing the transitioning to next gen that we work closely with the MV, our MVPD partners to ensure that our current service was not impacted and I'm proud to say it hasn't been anywhere and, and that's because we have you know a steering committee and we invite the MVPDs come and work out on the transitions with us um, and so that's been a, a great partnership with 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 them we're also um, also closely aligned on figuring out the technical side so we didn't ensure that they can ingest uh, the next gen TV signal and we're working through that right now. Um, we did our first test with them two years ago um, in, uh, in Portland um, and demonstrated that we could do it. Uh, and so we're now working through other aspects and details around the uh, nature of the standard and also looking at where can we benefit and improve um, the experience of our signal in the MVPD um, environment. And so part of that is also, though, ensuring that they um, aren't too dissimilar. So consumers don't get confused that our, 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 that our, our cable customers, and we believe that there's a way to do that. So to be able to create um, an interactive environment that is um, substantially similar and, and making sure that, you know, again, the customer, I think both for our MVPD partners, our viewers and ourselves is what we care about most. Uh, and to ensure that there, it, any kind of transition for them would be one where uh, there's not disruption, but there's um, improvement and we're working through that right now. So I'm optimistic about um, our being able to create, uh, I think a really terrific environment for consumers on cable. And I just, I see that once we're fully deployed we're out there, things are scaling, you know, that's the time to start to, to bring it. But at this point, it's a lot of tech, it's technical development, exploratory work that we're doing with them. Okay, great. No, thanks for that, that recap. So I'll look forward to, you know, kind of seeing how that develops. I'm also, you know, I'll keep an eye on the, uh, the FCC docket. I'm kind of curious to see, uh, you know, how, what the, uh, uh, what the filings are going to say, you know, they asked a ton of questions. So uh, it'll be really interesting to kind of, uh, kind of get a new level set, you know, based on all the. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, they, the rules were established. I mean, it, this was contemplated yeah. when they established the rules. Um, you know, it yeah. will be five, four, some years ago, um, four and a half, it'll be five, you know, by the time the they need to make a decision. And, you know, lots of changes in five years. Right. <laughs> we just call out the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. That, that <laughs> I mean, slightly changed things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, not <laughs> no like one could that, for, foresaw that. Yeah. The technology mm -hmm. is pretty exponential, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, you know, five years ago, it was hard to conceive of how we would transition. And we had a plan and an idea and a proposal for it. You know, I, um, I, like I hats off to the broadcasters, the, the amount of collaboration that happens on a daily basis to, to get next gen deployed is, is tremendous. And, you know, I were a government regulator. I would 
I, I could, I wouldn't know that. Um, and we've proved that out. So, you know, uh, the cost of the device, uh, the fact that we were in our first year, lowest cost device at $499, uh, $499. When the first device that came out for ATSC 1.0 was $20,000 back in the early 90s. I mean, I, 20 so, grand. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was well, 20, mean, grand yeah. back, 20 yeah. grand back in the early 90s. This, you know, I, nobody really knew what the what the cost was going to be. We, we, we knew it was going to be a lot less, but we, we didn't realize we would be on the connected TV arc that quickly, meaning the growth. Our growth, we're growing faster than for uh, UHD TV, growing way faster than DVDs going faster than smartphones because uh, we're getting we're getting included in the smart TV technology and the way technology um, on televisions has evolved uh, the next tech tends to get broadly adopted really quickly uh, and I, I don't think we actually as an industry uh, realize that so Five years ago, yeah, there's a, they had a lot of questions, and so they put this mechanism in there to ask those questions, which is what this proceeding's about. And we're excited to be able to, um, to report out on just how successful this really has been in comparison to anything else out there. And uh, we certainly have a ways to go, uh, but um, we're You'll see our filing coming in with some of these details that I think will showcase, um, you know, what's working, which is the flexibility for us to be able to uh, continue to deploy, have the flexibility on what we offer, as long as you know consumers still have choice, and you know we're offering a free service, and there's nothing like it, especially as we come into a recession where subscription fatigue is starting to happen, we're a great choice uh, for consumers. Great. Well, I'll look forward to keeping an eye on the docket. I'm sure there's going to be literally hundreds of pages of information to sort through, and uh, there are always some good news nuggets in there. So I look yeah. forward to, uh, to digging through that. So, um, Anne, I think that's where we're going to leave it today. So I really appreciate you joining us and uh, here on the Light Reading Podcast and getting caught up on next gen TV and uh, look forward to staying in touch. Jeff, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to be here and hope you bring me back on the responses on the NOI. I would look forward to that. All right. That sounds okay. good. Thanks. Great. Right. Okay. Bye.